listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast that features interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm your host, Mike Costa of Costa Media Advisors. My guest this week is Dr. Rebecca Ashford of Chattanooga State Community College. Dr. Ashford has dedicated her career to community colleges while serving in roles such as academic advisor, dean of student services, and vice president of student affairs from Florida to New York to Tennessee. Dr. Ashford, community college graduate herself, has served as president of Chattanooga State Community College since 2017. Rebecca, welcome to My Morning Cup. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you. But before we talk about your journey through academia, let me ask you, what's in your morning cup? Typically, it's going to be Earl Grey tea or some kind of green tea. No coffee. No coffee. I love the smell of coffee. I love the thought of coffee, you know, the coffee houses and Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. But I don't like it. Well, and I understand that. And, you know, my morning cup is not necessarily about coffee. It's about what you choose to start your day with. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be Tazo Earl Grey tea, or it's going to be some kind of green tea. You put anything in it? Nope. Just straight up. I don't use sugar, honey, cream, nothing. You're good and basic. I'm basic. I'm very basic, (laughs) actually. Yes. Well, let's talk about your journey through academia. You're a community college graduate. Take us through how you go from student to president. Well, gosh. So first of all, I want to say being a college president is beyond my wildest expectations. I mean, just beyond my wildest dreams. This was not some great plan you had. No, in fact. So I'm from a little town in Florida called Merritt Island. It's If you went to Orlando and drove one hour east to the coast, almost to Cocoa Beach, it's actually where the Space Center is. Oh, cool. Did you see any? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because my dad worked at the Space Center for 40 years. Wow. What did he do? He was a technician. That's neat. Yeah. That's that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast. But graduated from high school in Merritt Island, and I went to Brevard Community College, not really having any idea what I wanted to do. I At one point, I wanted to be a dental hygienist because I love teeth, clean teeth. (laughs) (laughs) I really like to go to the dentist. And then I ended up taking all my prerequisites and getting an associate's degree to transfer and major in English education and did work through that, taught, student taught for a little bit that had a temporary full-time teaching job. And I really, my love I developed as a student at the University of Central Florida, Mm -hmm. which was working with students and helping them plan what they were going to do. It was like putting a puzzle together putting together, here's the plan. You want to get there? Well, here are the pieces you got to fit together to get there. So you were the student advisor yeah. that someone like myself would come in and I'd be in my sixth year and right. say, oh, I want to be a rocket scientist. Right. And, and I'd be my... like, well, you should have taken calculus somewhere along the way. <laughs> well, it takes a special kind of person to be able to have the patience to deal with that. Well, I really enjoyed it. And I loved it because I could work with students right out of high school community college transfers, and then also adults. It was just great variety. So you got that love of working with students and decided this was the path you wanted? Yeah, it was what I really liked to do. And I'll never forget one day I was working in the advising office. And these offices are very different from what they are now. I'll never forget one day I was filing something in one of the many filing cabinets Mm -hmm. because we didn't scan then. We didn't even have scanners. We didn't have (laughs) scanners. What was a scanner? And 
I stopped to go help someone at the counter, and the girl at the counter said to me, you're the only person who's ever stopped what they're doing to come help me. And I don't know why. Clearly, many years later, I'm still talking about it. That really resonated with me of how doing something so small made a difference in someone's day. That's a really good point. We don't think about the things we do each day. The small things that have an impact, whether it's in your professional side or your personal side, it's those little things. As they say, people don't necessarily remember what you said. They remember how you made them feel. Exactly. Exactly. So that's always resonated with me. So I kind of go back to that often. Yeah. So you're at UCF and you're working as a student advisor. Yeah, and then a full-time position came open at Brevard Community College where I was an alum. And I went and did that. And what did you do there? I was an advisor. Yeah, student advisor. And it was the start of a really good career, you know. At Brevard, things were, at least at that point, organized very differently than they are at somewhere now, like at Chattanooga State. So the advisors were also the recruiters. It was also in charge of student life. You don't realize when you're 20-something years old (laughs) how that's preparing you for a future because wearing all those hats Mm -hmm. prepared me to move up. Well, I would think, particularly in the role you're in now, you can really look at your team and say, well, I've done that. So you've got a knowledge of what they're doing and also an empathy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I had no idea how that was preparing me. Meanwhile, I kept working on my education. I went on for a master's degree and then a doctorate. I remember at my master's degree ceremony, graduation ceremony, I had no plans at that point to get a doctorate. And I sat there and I was like, man, (laughs) there's one more. And I thought, I'm just not going to be happy with myself unless I go for it. And again, I wasn't doing it because I thought, well, this is going to open all the right doors. It was like, no, this is, I have to do this to feel good about it. A personal accomplishment. Mm -hmm. So you went for your doctorate again at UCF? Yeah, yeah. I did all all that that you're not supposed to do. Apparently, (laughs) you're not supposed to do that. But it just worked out. Well, it seems it worked out for you. Yeah, it worked out for my life. So after you got your doctorate, you're still at Brevard? I was still at Brevard. I'd been moving up in the student services area at Brevard, and then I got my doctorate. And, you know, sometimes to move up to the next step, you have to move away. And a lot of people don't want to do that, or they get really angry (laughs) when you say that to them. But it's the truth. You know, I'm not the president of Brevard Community College. And so I went to, um, there was an opportunity to apply for a position in upstate New York as vice president for student affairs. And I applied for it, and I got it, and my husband and I and my one almost one-year-old daughter, we moved to upstate New York, and we knew no one there. It was an adventure. It was an adventure, and it was a gold adventure, because <laughs> I went from year-long summer oh, yeah. to year-long winter. I bet that has to be a shock to the It system. was a shock. But to your point, sometimes you need to leave to yes. move up, and particularly when you've spent so much of your formative years in one place. In the same place. Similar yeah. situation. I got my start in broadcast in, in Memphis, grew up in Memphis, and I realized to move up, I needed to find a job in yeah. another market because my general manager at the time had known me since I was a brand new, fresh account executive. As I went for management jobs, that image of exactly. was it, still that's in their Exactly. That's exactly true. You know, people have a hard time shifting how they see you. Yeah. 
You know, I, if I was at Brevard, there are going to be people there who still remember me wearing a chicken costume for a week <laughs> for a student activity. <laughs> I, I can match that. I've worn the Kool-Aid man suit. Oh, did you really? Yeah. I bet that was way um, better than my chicken costume. <laughs> I've got some good stories we'll, we'll share one day. But you moved to New York. Yeah. And you're not going in as this student advisor who's just now getting their career start. You're going as vice president. So right. the image of you is different. It's very different. And it's funny to go from that image of the mm-hmm. student advisor, you know, who's worked their way up to someone with a great deal of responsibility. And it was I was astounded by the level of respect I got yeah. just by having a title, it was strange to me, but humbling. And I have felt that way ever since. It makes you feel like I really have to earn this. Do you ever find yourself, wait a second, it's it's just me. Yes, every single day. Yeah. <laughs> Don't they know I'm just a kid? <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> so you're in New York for how many years? Two and a half. That was about enough. So two winners. Two winners and a half, which is also winter. And um, I mean, it was just cold all the time. You know, it was dark by like three o'clock in the afternoon. Oh. It was cold and so far away from family. I had some things in my life happen where I really wanted to be around family and yeah. I couldn't get there. And it was That's just hard. at that point when we left, my older daughter was about two-ish, two and a half. And my younger daughter was right at about a year. What did that experience teach you or give you? I'm stronger than I thought I was. Way stronger. Again, being away from family, I never thought I'd be that far from family. Yeah, and it, you know, it's a two-day drive, and whether you fly or drive with little kids like that, that's not easy. So you start looking and... And I happen to see this position at Pellissippi State in Knoxville, mm-hmm. and I look at their website. I'm like, well, they've got an interim. He's probably going to get the job, but I'm going to apply. What do I have to lose? I already have a job. That's mm-hmm. the best time to apply for a job. You don't know how many times I've told both my daughters yeah. that same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's that's the best time. The worst thing you can do is quit, and I don't that's know what right. I'm going to do. And then you're desperate, so you have to take anything. <laughs> yeah. And all the doors, Mike, just kept opening. And I mean, it was weird. I know this is going to sound really superstitious, but like I kept seeing Dolly Parton on TV. I'm like, I never <laughs> see Dolly Parton on TV. Now I see her on TV every time. And my kids had this little puzzle that was the map of the United States. And the Tennessee piece kept showing up in every room in my house. <laughs> and I was like, that's weird. Those and, are signs. And, and so it was weird. Yeah. yeah. And again, the process, the interview was easy. You know, the travel for the interview was easy and the doors just kept opening. Did you ever think that the interview process was easy because you were prepared for it? Of course not. <laughs> I never thought that. Yeah. Plenty of self-doubt. Is yeah, plenty thing. of self-doubt all along the way. But then again, there was part of me in that experience and the experience applying for my present position. You know, there was like the monkey mind and then the rational mind. And you try to let the rational mind overcome. <laughs> <laughs> How long were you in Knoxville? Nine years. Great town. Gosh, everybody was so friendly. It was a great place to be. Pellissippi State was a great home you know, it was a great place to raise my kids. Were there some of the things that you did at Pellissippi State that you've now been able to bring to Chattanooga State? Yeah, well, 
I'm going to go maybe in a little direction that you didn't think. Oh, that's even <laughs> better. That's my favorite thing. So as VP for Student Affairs, you end up dealing with a lot of legal issues. You know, it's like you're the problem solver. Oh, it sounds like fun. Oh, it's great. <laughs> you get sued all the time. You know, people are never happy. And honestly, that was some of the best preparation for my current job because I don't tend to get scared or intimidated when there's a big, hairy problem. And, you know, that happens all the time. Anytime you have an organization with lots of people, someone's not going to make a good choice today Mm -hmm. or over time. So that was excellent preparation. And the work with UTK, we developed, um, I can't even remember the name of it, but it was a bridge program where students who had been waitlisted at UTK could go to Pellissippi. And um, there was just a lot of work involved in that. And um, I ended up, one of the last things I did was teach a class where at the end I took the students on a study abroad trip to France. That's my kind of class. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. And the timing of that was so wild because I was teaching the last actual in-person in the United States class on a Thursday evening. And during that meeting, I got the phone call with my job offer. And all the students were like, (laughs) Dr. Asher just looked at her phone. They were like, take it, take it, go take the call. So you're in class teaching. Yeah. You know you're going to be taking this class to France. Then you look at your friend and go, oh, by the way, I've also got an right. opportunity Well, and the next day <laughs> was graduation, and I was in charge of the ceremony. Yeah. So I was throwing a party for, you know, a few thousand of my closest friends the <laughs> next day, which was very, you know, time and labor intensive. And so I get the offer, and graduation is the next day. Sunday, we came down and looked at houses, and I made an offer on Monday, and I left for France on Tuesday. You're not one to shy away from things in front of you. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> and one of the things I read about you, you said one of your great strengths is focus and discipline. Yes. Talk about that a little bit. Now, that, it's probably my greatest strength, but it can also be a liability sometimes. Yeah. So I tend to be very goal-oriented. I'm very disciplined in the way I eat, in my fitness routine. You know, my alarm goes off a little bit before 3 and I'm up, and I'm working out for an hour and a half to two hours. What kind of workout? Aerobics and hit and dance and weights. And wow. So you're up at yeah. three. I'm up at three. What time are you going to bed? Oh, not early enough. <laughs> not early enough. Usually 9, 9.30 is when it actually happens. And you don't drink caffeine? No. Well, the tea. Well, the tea, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I take a lot of vitamins. <laughs> and I eat a really healthy diet. I try to stay away from sugar. I, I'm not a big meat eater, but I do eat fish. And I eat a very heavy vegetable. Have you always diet. been that way? Um, no, but I have always been disciplined. You know, my growing up, we were healthier eaters than most. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't eat bread or pasta or any kind of gluten kind of thing. Not that's, that I have that's my downfall. Yeah, oh, God, trust I, me. I love oh, pasta. It's not because I don't like it, Mike. <laughs> but I feel really good. I have a lot of energy from my food, so there's that. I'm also somebody who creates a budget every month, and I stick to it. I almost have a weekly budget that I don't go above. Um, I recently paid off my house. Congratulations. Yes, I'm so very excited. That's a big deal. Yeah, that was a big deal. I just try to leverage what I'm good at and what comes naturally to me to benefit 
you know, my life and to prosper my family. What instilled that in you? I'm sure some of it's innate in your parents and, and all that, but what, well, what, what kicked it into funny, overdrive? Because my, my parents always say, we found her in a cabbage patch because she's <laughs> nothing like the rest of us. <laughs> I really don't know. I, I think just this realization that if there's things I want in life, I've got to make them happen. Nobody's going to come along and fix things for me or yeah. make things happen. We're all in charge of our lives. You've really embraced the self-initiative. Nothing's going to affect me except the way I proactively. Exactly. Well, it's sort of like the working out thing because people say, well, do you go to a gym? I'm like, no, I don't want anyone around me. This is not a social activity. This is between me and me. You know, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I obviously don't work out much, but I hate gyms. Yeah. And I hate, I hate sweating around people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And frankly, they hate it too. <laughs> right, right. So then, you know, I try to also use that at work. In getting through the pandemic, that was very useful because I think I would have gone nuts. Glad you brought that up because the pandemic was a life changer for every industry, yeah. every person, but particularly classes and yes. having to be in person. Talk about how the school had to pivot and the challenges all that created. Oh, yeah. Well, just like everyone else, you know, we were on spring break and suddenly... We were going to be virtual, and I am still impressed and awed and inspired by the employees at the college, the faculty and staff who, in five days, became a completely virtual campus. How did that decision come about? Was it something driven by the Board of Regents? Was it something driven locally? Was it a combination of Gosh, all of that? Gosh, you know, it's, it's hard to remember. The big thing I remember is... I always joke and say, Randy Boyd shut the state down because it was like UTK announced at first yeah. that they were going to be virtual and classes were suspended in person. And then it was like the domino effect of everyone else going in that direction. And at that point, I was really amazed at how, you know, kind of a hallmark of a college campus is shared governance and the idea that people want a lot of input into decisions, and that's typically the way we operate. But at that point, there wasn't time for that. Yeah. And people were very grateful, I think, to have swift, sure decisions. So thinking back, I kept thinking about my behavior and how I decided I needed to show up every day, trying to be strong, trying to show empathy and love for the folks at the college, my employees and the students. But at the same time, steadfast, sure, I'm with you, we're going to get through this. And that took a very disciplined approach. And I remember every day on my dresser, I had this list of things. This is today. This is today. And it's like, we're checking this list. And then people would say, well, what about six months? I'm like, we're not talking about six months from now. We're talking about today. <laughs> well, and that's another important point in leadership. You really got to focus on what's in front of you today. We yes. can't control tomorrow. That'll no, be here soon enough. Exactly. And I love what you just said about we can't control what's going to happen tomorrow or um, one of the outcomes of the pandemic for colleges, community colleges in particular, has been a, just a dramatic drop in enrollment. And, you know, it was like I found myself emotionally like fighting this and We've made some very difficult choices in terms of positions that we've not filled, positions we've eliminated. We've cut $4 million from our budget. and That's a bunch. That's a bunch. And we're stronger financially now than we've been in a very long time. And it's taken discipline. 
so that challenge of the pandemic, like for a lot of businesses, really made you rethink how you yeah, operate. Exactly. Just like we all know, it's never going to go back to the way yeah. it was. Talk a little bit about the student experience at that time, because so many students did not get the college experience, particularly yeah. for graduating. Yeah. I think for us, the hard part was more the programs that were very hands-on. Our allied health programs, nursing and allied health programs, our hands-on engineering programs, our hands-on programs through um, our TCAT. Those were the hardest um, because you knew the students weren't getting hands-on. Hands-on. <laughs> and they needed to be hands-on. So those were the first to come to be more in person. And you know, a lot of our students who were heavily involved in student life on campus, not having those opportunities. Well, um, that's such a big part of college life, yeah, the on-campus yeah, life. Exactly. And, you know, one of the big services we provide to our students is a food pantry. A lot of students use it. So a big challenge for us was figuring out how to still provide that service while being remote. So at one point, we had like a little trailer near the entrance to campus where we would stock the food and students could come and get it. For us, it was more managing the services mm -hmm. to ensure that they still got them because we knew that's really important for our students is to eat. <laughs> yeah. As you can tell, I like to eat. <laughs> Me too. But I never thought of a college having a food pantry. It's great that you guys do that, but it's almost an indictment on what we are as a society. Well, yeah, a lot of community college and university students are yeah. food insecure, housing insecure, and are, we always say, one flat tire away from quitting yeah. school. And so we also put a lot of focus on raising funds for emergency funds for students. Well, that's a great service. Yeah, I'm really proud of that work. Yeah. The one flat tire away makes me think of how do you get those students reengaged? Because I know that's a big focus of getting people back who may have given up on their studies at 20. Yeah. And here they are 30. Engaged. We probably don't do a good enough job at that because we look back just a semester or two at students who were with us but aren't gone and doing outreach to them to try to get them reengaged and make them aware of the financial support that they would have either through Tennessee Reconnect if they're an adult learner or any number of scholarships that we have and, and just try to see what barriers might they have that we can help overcome mm -hmm. if they want to come back. And that Tennessee Reconnect's important as is the fact that community college was free. Yeah, and, and again, I always have to correct because I'm one of the very exacting <laughs> people. So F focus and it's, discipline. It's actually not free. Um, what it is, it's Tennessee Promise and Tennessee Reconnect are both last dollar scholarships. So we still charge tuition. Mm -hmm. Students have to apply for the Pell Grant. If they get full Pell, they won't get a dime of Promise or Reconnect. But if they don't have other financial aid like the Pell Grant or the lottery scholarship taking care of things, then Tennessee Promise or Tennessee Reconnect will take the rest. So it's like a backstop. Yeah, it's a backstop. You talked a little bit about hands-on and workforce development mm, such a huge. huge issue today. And there's been a refocus back onto vocational and trades. Yeah. Talk a little bit about Chattanooga State's role in that. Chattanooga State has a huge role in that. I mean, this is, especially now, this is what we're all thinking about. Every It was certainly what I'm thinking about every single day. A lot of people don't realize we have non-credit, short-term training that is very much designed just to help someone either upskill in their current job or 
prepare for a pretty good paying job in just a few weeks. And so that's on our non-credit economic and workforce development side. We also are the only community college in the state where the TCAT is actually part of our administrative structure. It's not where co-located. It is part of Chattanooga State. And I think that uniquely positions us to meet the workforce needs in our community because we're able to come in with this sort of three-pronged approach when there's a workforce need to say, okay, how can we best leverage the non-credit, the TCAT, and the credit degree programs to best meet this need quickly, efficiently, or even just to have a career path? Then there's also the credit side, the associate's degrees that lead to jobs like engineering, nursing, any number of the healthcare programs, business. So a big thing we're working on now is this idea that we're creating more pathways from the non-credit training to TCAT to credit so that a student can kind of weave in and out wherever it makes sense for them at this stage in their life. You know, if you need something in six weeks or if you want to come back later and get a degree later on, we want to make that as seamless as possible. So some flexibility. Yes. You know, one of the things I'm most proud of is the most recent work with the Construction Career Center. And I, yeah. I know you had Leslie Gower yeah. on a few weeks ago. And that's been so gratifying. Here you've got this great need for good jobs and prosperity and a need for a skilled workforce. So yeah. I love the marriage of the two. To me, it seems to be a great pilot for the rest of the state. Oh, absolutely. I think it's something that we should duplicate in other industries in this community and certainly across the state. And with all this focus now on trades, that's got to benefit a school like Chattanooga State. Yeah, it does. You know, it's interesting because the area where we're growing the most is dual enrollment. And a lot of that is because of the Future Ready Institutes. In fact, on both on the credit side, the degree program side, about 25% of our enrollment is high school dual enrollment. And on the TCAT side, it's more like 20%. So a high school student can knock out a lot of their college yes. prerequisite if they do go to a four-year school. Yes. They're halfway or, along. Yeah, or come to or, Chat State. And part of that sounds like an answer to the student debt crisis. Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, I've always been proud to say as a community college graduate, I've never had a student loan yeah. ever. And that's the story of many of our students. Yeah. And that's the story that a lot of young people can identify with. A couple more questions for sure. you. Correct me if I'm wrong. You've established a scholarship at the school in honor of your father. Is that correct? Yeah. So my dad passed away in July. I'm sorry. Oh, thank you. He, um, my dad was a real generous person. I mean, I love to share this story because it always just floors me. He, you know, he's in Florida, so it's hot. And every day that the trash would get picked up, he would leave a cooler by the trash cans full of ice and bottled water. For the guys picking up the trash. For the trash. guys picking up the trash. Yeah. He was really generous, always wanted to help anybody who he perceived to be an underdog. He wanted to help them. And so... I mentioned earlier, we have our emergency fund. We call it the Helping Hands Fund. One of our goals has been to endow that. And so I knew that once I paid off my house, because that was my goal, I wanted yeah. to do that so that I could be more generous. So I created an endowment in my dad's name. It's the Charles B. Ashford Helping Hands, well, Endowed Helping Hands Fund. <laughs> what a tremendous way to honor the legacy and memory of your dad. 
I'm so proud to be able to do it. And I go back to it was because I had the discipline to pay off every bit of debt that I have so that I can use my money to be generous. That ties it back really nicely. That discipline and that focus is what allows you to do that now. You may not have had that intention when you started, but that's the benefit of doing that. Yes, exactly. Last question for you. What would you tell your 25-year-old self that's really important for a happy life? Ah, you're enough. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that. What do you mean? Uh, What I mean by that is, you know, I think back particularly at that age of not feeling confident, not feeling like I had the skills, the strength, the wherewithal to advance in my career, to achieve big things. But understanding now, looking back, knowing that, you know, with hard work, with discipline, with experience, and with some setbacks, Mm -hmm. you really can achieve anything. Never feel sorry for yourself. Continue to grow and see with every situation, whether it's good or bad, how can I grow and learn from this and be better because of it? I like the way you sum that up. You're enough. Because so many of us, and particularly when you're starting out, you have so much self-doubt. Yeah. I think we all suffer from imposter syndrome. Oh, for sure. But the way I always put it was, I always wanted to hire that person who lied awake in bed at night thinking, if they only knew how little I knew, they would get rid of me tomorrow. Because that self-doubt is (laughs) what drove me. That's me every day. (laughs) (laughs) It's a horrible way to be. (laughs) But to put it the way you put it is, you're enough. Because... I never thought anyone goes into work saying, I'm going to see how poor a job I can do today. Right. We're all striving for the best. I think a little bit of self-doubt, a little bit of, you know, I might not have all the answers is a good thing because it keeps us listening to more people. I think it keeps us questioning our decisions, which I think is important, and just continually striving. This has been a great conversation. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. I have too. And thank you so much for coming in, Dr. Rebecca Ashford. Thank you. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.